Well, hello everyone. Uh, it's been a very long time. Actually, it's only been two weeks, but either way, I am Rafael Garcia. Thank you for joining me. We're back for the MMA Ratings Podcast. This is episode 97. Uh, we're creeping up on episode 100, and we are working together to put something uh, pretty special together for you guys. Um, I am just the one that has been dragging my feet, as I usually do with just about everything else. But hopefully, we will have something special for you all in the next couple of weeks. But anyway, thank you for joining me today. Thank you for taking some time out of your busy Thursday evening, doing whatever it is that you're doing, to listen to the commentary that I will have about the world of mixed martial, mixed martial arts. I can barely talk today. Schwam, my partner in crime, should be joining me later on. I hit him up earlier today, so hopefully he hops into the show later. But either way, thank you for your time. Thank you for listening to our content. Please like and share what we're talking about here today. You can um, click the subscribe button if you're listening to us on YouTube uh, and share this across our social media channels. I appreciate you doing so. I'm also going to tweet out the live link right now. have quite a bit to talk about because we had uh, UFC 228 on Saturday, which was a show that was much better than I think a lot of people anticipated from start to finish. I really enjoyed it um, where we got to see Tyron Woodley retain his welterweight title when he stopped Darren Till in the second round of their uh, main event. Jessica and Josh looked great. Uh, there's just a lot to talk about from that show from start to finish because it was really exciting. It was much more than what I and probably anyone else thought it was going to be. So we're going to talk about that, talk about some news from the week, and just let you guys know what we're working on in the world of sports because that's what we do here. Not only do we talk about MMA, but we talk about um, boxing. I talk about professional wrestling sometimes, grappling. A lot of my grappling coverage will be coming over from Bloody Elbow into Maybe MMA ratings, maybe some fan-sided content that I do as well, so you'll be able to catch more of my stuff there. Schwan, you can always find him writing for ratings, writing for a couple other sites as well. Um, the man is probably one of the top analysts, uh, in my opinion, in the game. He really knows his women's MMA, so don't ever sleep on this guy when we're talking about... Um, when we're talking about the women's uh, the women's game, because we do cover that a lot here. But let's go ahead and jump into our agenda because we have the first news item I want to cover today. I had three on the agenda, but there's really a fourth that I want to cover as well. But first thing we have is uh, the press event that's been announced for uh, the Conor McGregor, Khabib Nurmagomedov fight. That is a mere 20 some odd days away. They are doing a press conference, a closed press conference that's only open to media in New York next week in Radio City Music Hall with both uh, Khabib and Connor will be on site. They will be on site talking and uh, probably answering questions from the media. It should be a pretty interesting event to see uh, what goes on. I know a lot of you are talking about why is it closed to the public, why um, are they opening it up to fans? And I think that that is a good 
starting point. That's a good conversation have, uh, to have there. Me personally, I uh, look at this and I think some guys on the the MMA beat today were talking about it from a safety precaution. And, you know, I could kind of see that. Um, we've seen instance, multiple incidents occur with Conor McGregor first. There was the bottle throwing incident with uh, Nate Diaz. Then there was the dolly throwing incident. Um, he's gotten into altercations with people backstage. He's gotten into that altercation at the club, at the bar. I think he was in Ireland. I remember that situation. So I think closing this off to the public is a good move. It's, I think it will help keep people out who are coming there with the negative intent intent to get rowdy, to be out of control. Uh, whether we want to believe it or not, MMA is a sport that doesn't attract the greatest of fans sometimes. And I would not be surprised if they find themselves in a situation where fans are getting pretty rowdy. Nobody's really talking about it, but I think back to a comment that Khabib Namargo Madoff made way before uh, the start of way before the start of um, this whole fight promotion. I remember I think it was after Khabib beat Michael Johnson and he was in the cage being asked questions. I think he said something along the lines of there's 10,000 Irish and 50,000 people from his country, so if they want a war, bring it. Um, that right there, that type of narrative is something that I don't think the UFC wants to incite. I don't think they want to put themselves in a position where these groups do come out to a major media outlet and there is a problem. While UFC can control what goes on on the stage, they can control that type of aspect and kind of manufacture what goes on there, they can't really control what goes on in the background, in the uh, stands. I think, uh, I can't remember the, the third host on the MMA beat today, but they were talking about how a lot of individuals are there already drunk, already being rowdy. I don't think the UFC wants to take a chance and incite a situation that can easily get out of control if some of these people come with the intent of starting a problem. So with that in mind, I think this is the right move. I think this is the right move to keep this event closed to the public just for certain people to be um, involved. And I'm interested in the questions that will be asked. I'm interested in who will be there. One also uh, important note about this, I think Luke Thomas tweeted this out because it was in the press release. The UFC 230, which is scheduled after this event, does not have a current main event right now. It has a lot of other fights already booked, um, but it does not have a current main event. The UFC elected to change the date that tickets go on sale. They're going to go on sale right after this press release, or excuse me, right after this press conference, which he pointed out lets him know that perhaps they're going to announce the main event at that point in time. Um, and it may not necessarily only be one. Can you remember this This event is scheduled for November 3rd. It's uh, going to occur in Madison Square, Square Garden. Right now, there's only one, two, three, four, five. There's only six fights 
booked for this card. Um, and it's some very great, some very good fights. I mean, you got Lyman Good coming back to UFC, uh, Derek Brunson versus Israel Adesanya, um, Jacare against David Branch, Chris Ryman versus Luke Rockle, we're getting that rematch, Yoel Romero versus um, Borja uh, Paulo Costa, and we also right now this slated main event, but I doubt this is going to remain in that position. Is a Dustin Poirier Nate Diaz fight? I wish that fight got moved and became a main event somewhere else because I think those two guys can definitely uh, go for five rounds. But I'm interested in seeing what they put above that. They do have Valentina Shevchenko who is coming off of the situation where she was. Um, Unfortunately, out of a fight against Nico Montano because of Montano's weight cut issues, which led to Montano being um, stripped of the title. So Shevchenko is still listed as a number one contender for that belt, and the UFC is looking to find someone to uh, replace her. And challenge, or not necessarily challenge, that may be the wrong word, but face Shevchenko for the um, for the belt. So that is a uh, that is a situation to watch. I don't think that will be the main event. There's also talks about maybe seeing if Tyron Woodley can defend against Kobe Covington on that card as well. That could be a big main event as well if paired with the right co-main event. I think that that could be a pretty big show. Um, Kobe Covington has been talking to various outlets. He talked on Luke Thomas's uh, serious show this week, and he also talked to Sean Ross Sapp on um, uh, what is it? Goodness, what's Sean Ross? Fightful, uh, Fightful Sports. He talked about that as well there too. As whether or not that that can be a uh, fight that is inserted because he was pushing to fight in November before he was pulled out of uh, last Saturday's fight against um, he was he was the original opponent instead of Ty instead of Darren Will Darren Till so there's that situation but we'll see uh, what kind of comes out of there but we are uh, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to agree with Luke. On that, and think that maybe that a main event and a big co-main event will be announced for this UFC 230 card because they do need something big whenever they go to Madison Square Garden. I mean, that's quote unquote the mecca of sports, even though a major championship hasn't been won there by any of the big four or by the Knicks. Period. Nothing has been won there by the Knicks in a very long time, but it's considered the mecca. And this is me doing in air quotes the mecca of sports, but that's neither here nor there. But either way. This will be an intriguing um, press conference to watch. So definitely be sure to stay close and stay tight to uh, your favorite MMA media outlets to see what goes on there. Second news item. This is kind of interesting to me, and I'm going to pair it with the fourth item I mentioned earlier. But Combat Americas, uh, which is a... MMA promotion that's more targeted towards the Hispanic demographic. They're moving their English um, content over to uh, Dazone, uh, wherever, however you say it. But they're moving their content over to that streaming platform. This is the same streaming streaming platform that houses Bellator's content, but they're they're also they're moving their content over there. And um, that is a it's, it's an intriguing development because that is a MMA 
promotion that I'm interested in because I believe they're tapping and they're looking to tap into this Hispanic market in the right way. They have a roster that features some very strong uh, Hispanic uh, prospects and competitors. Like they have uh, Amanda uh, Serrano, who I think is a, is a very intriguing women's, uh, I think she's fighting at flyweight right now. She's a very uh, intriguing former boxer who's making her way into the MMA space. I, I, so I think she's a name to watch. This first event will stream this Friday and it features um, Levi Maraquin uh, against Jose Alidi for the uh, inaugural bantamweight title. I may have said one of those, one or both of those names wrong, but that is a, a, an interesting fight there. I still have not seen how much this platform costs in any way, shape or form, but it may become a space where you can begin catching MMA and other combat sports content that's not necessarily targeted toward the North American market space. Um, 13 Combat Americas events are going to be on this platform per year, plus the Bellator events. We know that they will be streaming their events there live. They also will be streaming their foreign events that usually get leaked and um, streamed in a d delayed sense for the North American uh, fan base. We will probably be seeing more. Well, we will be seeing their content on that platform as well, too. So it's definitely something worth keeping an eye on. And this kind of ties into that extra news story I wanted to talk about because that is around one, um, what's his name? That is around Joe Rogan. I'm sorry, I just had a complete brain fart. But on the Joe Rogan experience this week, he was talking specifically about um, – Bellator as a number two competitor to the UFC. I wrote about this for uh, MMA ratings this week as well as how Bellator, if the idea of Bellator being a number two competitor to UFC is a good idea or is, is, is something that everyone should begin to hope for. The reason being is because competition always breeds better product. I mean, think about it. In in its basis, basic sense, competition is what brings the men and women into the octagon to see who's the best competitor that night in that fight. So these individuals are working hard to be the best that they can be to win and everything from an opening card fight all the way up to a title. That is based around competition, but also in the business world, competition is a positive thing as well. I um, talked to high, I talked about the Monday Night Wars from years ago uh, between pro wrestling promotions, the WWE and the WCW, where both organizations were working tirelessly to one-up each other. We WWE went from being the platform that owned the Monday Night Space for years, and then finding themselves in a position where they were losing out to WCW because they were putting together better content on a weekly basis and putting together content that featured the names that people wanted to see. I mean, there was a point in time where I think WWE lost the ratings war for like a year and a half to WCW before, um, and then the situation occurred where uh, Mick Foley, Mankind, won the WWE Championship, and Tony Schiavone, 
made the, I guess at the time, what was considered a funny quip in, in leaking that news bit during uh, the WCW show, which was taped, or which was aired live earlier than the taped Raw show, but they found that a lot of people switched over from the live show to see Mankind win the title, and then from there on out it was just a downward um, spiral for WCW, but what was important during that time is that WWF was such a I think it was WWF back then, but WWE now was such a powerhouse in the um, professional wrestling space that they weren't being pushed to be different and to uh do better by their viewers kind of like the ufc is today where they're they have such a lead on the rest of the community such a big grasp such a big uh space out in front of someone else that they you have to wonder sometimes are they putting together the best cards that fans uh could watch usually the answer is know that there's so much MMA out there that fans are slowly showing a disinterest. UFC 228, excellent card, excellent prelims, but here it is, They the prelims had a ridiculously, rate, ridiculously low rating just because there wasn't an interest in the show. Um, there wasn't an interest in the people fighting. You can kind of, you can blame that on the promotion of the event and the fact that Tyron Willie hasn't been promote it correctly you can blame it on that but that's only a small fraction of the piece i think it more of it has to deal with the, with the way that ufc isn't putting the greatest content out there and what um joe rogan was talking about was how bellator coming into the space as a viable number two to the ufc not only creates a competitive a stronger competitive space for uh the viewer by forcing the promotion to put together better content, it also becomes a better space for the fighters because they have more opportunity to uh, use their leverage as a uh, star power to see which opportunity is best for them and best for their pockets. Uh, Uriah Faber has been talking about Sage Northcutt, who is now a free agent within the UFC. Sage Northcutt is riding what I think is a three fight win streak, Sage Northcutt is not ranked. He doesn't deserve to be ranked at this point in time, but he is a fighter that the UFC has promoted, who they're firmly behind, who has that look and that nature that they want to cultivate into a homegrown star. He has the athletic abilities, he's developing the talent, um, and all of that's coming to fruition, but he's now a free agent. He's joked about, or I'm going to say joked, because I think it should be considered a little bit more serious than we want to consider it. But him and, um, what's the guy's name, Logan Paul, have been going back and forth on Twitter about a potential fight. And this is the same Logan Paul who just did a fight against KSI, a KSI on YouTube that's generated, I think, estimates got it to be about one8 almost two million dollars now while we don't know what the we don't know what the profit shares for that event was that's still that's still a strong haul for an amateur combat event imagine a fight between him and super sage Northcutt with the proper promotion behind it don't you dare try to tell me that it wouldn't garner attention in a way that would put money into everybody's pockets which which 
whether you agree, why you agree with it or not, that's always the goal because these guys are prize fighters. Prize fighters first. They're out there trying to make the most amount of money that they possibly can to fill their coffers. So that is why this deal between Combat Americas and the Zone is important. That is why it's um, the deal between Bellator and the Zone is important. That's why it's important to pay attention to these business developments because we don't know how this is going to change the game. We don't know how free agency is going to continue changing the game. I mean, we see more and more guys looking at and women looking at. Hey, is Bellator a viable uh, opportunity? Is One FC is rising? Are these organizations viable opportunities for me to make the most amount of money in my career? Here, we just saw Michael Chandler, a consummate competitor, prize fighter, an athlete, multiple-time Bellator champion, elect to resign with Bellator rather than shoot his shot in the UFC, probably because where he is in his career right now, looking at his age, he has a, a newly adopted son, and he's going to make more money with Bellator than he would with the UFC. He's also going to probably gonna be fighting longer. Fighting, I hate to say it this way, but fighting lesser talent and being the featured, uh, the, the featured guy. I mean, hell, if he jumped into the UFC right now, I question if he would be ranked in the top 10. I know he wouldn't be ranked in the top 5. Um, I know he would be uh, well outside of a title shot. While I would love to see him fight the likes of a Nate Diaz, a Eddie Alvarez. Again, I mean, they have that fight. Eddie Alvarez is also a free agent now, too, so that fight would be a given. Fight maybe a Tony Ferguson, fight a uh, Khabib Namarco Madoff. I mean, that, thing, that would be a great fight. Fighting maybe against a... Um, Justin Gaethje, all those fights are very intriguing to me, but he, in my opinion, he made the right decision to stay with Bellator. If you want to hear my full thoughts about that, you can check out our previous show before I went on um, work on, on, on the work trip to Boston, where Shawan and I dived into that um, more in depth. But definitely uh, pay close attention to that business deal between DAZN and uh, Combat Americas, and let's see what they continue doing in the combat space going forward. Um, we've seen that the UFC Fight Pass has not developed into the into the platform that everyone thought it was going to be. It has not hit the stride of the WWE Network yet, so it'll be interesting to see if DAZN kind of continues pushing in that in that space from a, a um, competitive uh, nature. The final, I guess, fourth now media uh, news uh, item I wanted to hit upon was the announcement that BJ Penn will be fighting Ryan Hall uh, at Lightweight. I don't know what, if, I think this is in December that this fight is supposed to occur, but Ryan Hall is finally returning to the UFC. He has not fought since defeating Ray Maynard in what was probably one of my favorite fights of, I think it was 2017. Uh, it might be longer than that. Let me look. When was Ryan Hall's last fight? Ryan Hall last fought in 2016, December of 2016. So it's almost been two years. By the time this fight comes around at UFC 232, it will be two years since he stepped into the UFC, and there's kind of conflicting stories about not fought since then. Um, some 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 individuals will tell you that the UFC has offered him 
multiple fights that he's continued to turn down. Uh, in many ways, I think also what plays a part into it is that his style is not what the UFC wants to promote. He's grappling first, pull guard, make you grapple, make you um, compete with me on the mat, and try to submit you. Uh, I don't think that that's a, a style that the UFC wants to get behind. It's definitely not a style that the mainstream fans want to get behind, but it's still, it's still, I mean, it's still fighting. It's a throwback to what occurred back in the past. And looking at UFC 232, this is their end of the year show, usually one of their bigger events, and it features uh, Cyborg defending her title against Amanda, a bantamweight champion, and Amanda Nunez. So we'll see it as this car continues to flesh out. Um, BJ Penn, the first American to win uh, an IBJJF world title. It'll be It'll be interesting to see what he does in this fight. Sorry, Schwan says uh, he wants to join, so let me re-add him. It's actually good timing because we are about to segue into some recapping from the weekend where we had... UFC 228, which, as I said at the opening of the show, I think was a very good event. And I'm, I haven't seen anything about... Sorry about that, guys. Um, Schwann should be joining us soon but it'll be interesting to see what the pay-per-view numbers were uh, for UFC 228 because uh, while it was an enjoyable card from start to finish it may not have had the star power to get everyone um, viewing but here he is the man with the plan the man with your analysis that you want to hear Schwann how are you doing there sir Sounds even good. Yourself? I cannot hear you. Hello? Um, let me Hello? something real quick. Hello? 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 Second, Schwan. Hello. Schwan, yeah. Schwan, one second. Oh. Schwan, can you hear me now? Hello. Can you got, got me? Hello. Yep. Can you hear me? Yeah, I got you. Okay. Cool. Sorry about that. So let's go ahead and go from there, man. Um, we just you just came in right at the perfect timing where we're talking about UFC 228. Let's start from the top, my man. Well, actually, before we even go into a fight by fight breakdown, what did you think of of this entire e event? Uh, I thought they got the best out of the event they could have. It had a lot of finishes. The fights were pretty exciting. They, it, didn't, it didn't really drag on. I don't think a lot of. I don't think there were a lot of high hopes for the event as far as like pay-per-view buys or, you know, um, expectations for dynamic finishes. But they got a lot of them, and that's what they kind of needed. I mean, that's definitely uh, Tyrone Woodley's reputation benefited from him getting a, a, a dynamic stoppage. So I, I think this, the event was much better than advertised, especially given everything that went wrong. And I think they have to be happy with whatever they get from it. Yeah, man, I think it was um, 
I was I definitely enjoyed the showcase. It was good to me from start to finish. Um, there were some great fights, and we're going to kind of dive in. And there were some great fights by some people we may not have been expecting them by. I think that's what made it that much more fun for me. But we're going to dive right into them and start at the main event where Tyron Woodley submitted Darren Till in the second round to retain his 170-pound title um, and insert himself into the conversation of the greatest of all time at 170 pounds. My vote is still GSP, but I could see Woodley being considered um, number two of all time. What did you think about Woodley's performance here and how he shut out Darren Till from start to finish? Well, the thing about Tyron Woodley is, and I'm not the biggest Tyron Woodley family fan, but I respect what he does and I respect him immensely is what he does inside and outside the cage. Once again, it was a situation where he just outsmarted his opponent. If you've seen enough of his fights, you see that he doesn't show a diverse array of skills. He's not hitting flying triangles, judo throwing people. He's not even really wrestling people a whole lot. You don't see him throwing exotic combinations, lead uppercuts, spinning back kicks. You don't even really see him a lot throwing a lot of head kicks or high or leg kicks. He has like five to seven moves he does. And basically what he does is the same thing that Nick Diaz and Nate Diaz does. And they get a lot of credit for it, but Tyron Willie never gets the credit. He makes you fight his fight. He creates an instance where you do exactly what he wants, and you get you eliminate all your other tools and all your other physical skills and engage him in exactly the manner that he wants to be engaged in. And once again, that's that's exactly what he did. He jumped on Till a little bit early, kind of throw Till off, to make him wary of the speed and the explosiveness, which is what everybody's afraid of. He, aren't afraid of Woodley technically. They're afraid of how, dan- how dynamic he is in closing the distance, how strong he is when he gets his hands on you, and how powerful he is when he hits you. So once he offset, he offset Till early, Till just basically started giving Woodley the fight he wanted to, Woodley needed. Till had a length advantage, he had a striking advantage, and he basically didn't take advantage of either one of those. He, he walked into the shots that Tyrone Woodley wanted him to walk into. He fought at the pace Tyrone Woodley wanted to, wanted to fight at. And he got put in the spot that Tyron Woodley wanted to put him in to get the fight over. It was, it was just textbook Tyron Woodley outsmarting a guy, making him fight his fight, and then making him pay for it. So let's talk about Woodley first, and we're going to segue into what this fight does, what this loss does for Till right now. Um, for Woodley's sake, should this fight get him more respect as the champion? He's defended he right now. Now that Demetrius Johnson has lost his title, he is the longest reigning. Um, he has uh, longest reigning champion um, in, in the UFC right now. Uh, he's knocked off another quote unquote specialist uh, who has come in to kind of stake his claim to that 170 pound, 175 pound, wait, 170 pound belt. Excuse me, and he his narrative afterward is is slightly different you know he's not talking about give me uh nick diaz give me gsp he's like man whoever wants to get it they can line up and they can get these hands right now does does this result make him appear different to mainstream mma fans or something still missing there well as you know main as you know mma fans as a whole you know there's the intelligent ones such as us the people who listen to our show we, we understand there's layers to it. But the typical fan, the first thing they're going to say is Till was a hype train and he was a fraud, which instantly takes away some of the, the specialness of what Tyron Woodley did. And in his favor, I think him not begging for the money fight 
is a good move. Me and you have discussed this many times. I would say, guys, if you want to become an A-side or you want to develop a fan base and get some kind of control, you have to make a narrative about what you're going to do and what you're going to do next, not about who you're going to call out, per se. The, the narrative has to be you. And the same thing with the Conor McGregor sweepstakes, everything someone does, Conor McGregor, you know, Conor McGregor, Nate Diaz, Conor McGregor, Nick Diaz, you're basically taking away your power because you're saying these people's name instead of saying, this is what I want, this is what I'm going to do. And you're giving them the power because you're chasing them. So it seems like Tyron Woodley's caught on to that. Now he's trying to make a narrative about what he's going to do, how bad a man he is, how he can take anybody. Instead of complaining about having to fight another top-ranked guy, he's saying, give me another tank top-ranked guy. I'll do the same thing I always do, which is beat him. That's the right approach to take this because it's going to make the people who don't like him very angry. The people who do like him can say, you know, he's earning his respect. He's calling his shot instead of saying, trying to justify why a bigger name should come down and fight him. Just fight the fight. Put yourself in a position, keep on winning, and eventually everything will work itself out on the business end and in the case. Maybe in, he may not be a superstar like some of these other guys, but he can maximize what he does have by continuing to put on decisive performances, whether they're dynamic finishes or they're just technical, unless they're just, they're just really surgical performances. The main thing is to sell yourself and to be consistent in what you're doing, and that's what he's starting to. That's what he's starting to do in my opinion. So let's let's talk about that there. What would you do next with uh, Tyron Woodley? We I talked about this in the opening. One of the news items was the uh, announcement that the UFC 230 tickets will go on sale during this upcoming 229 press conference. There's some people that are talking about maybe there's a potential for them to rebook Woodley and Covington on that card there. They're heading back to Madison Square Garden, so they need something big. Is that the fight you would do next? Or do you go some other route with Woodley um, giving, maybe even looking at that fight with uh, GSP? Yeah, I know some people who know him, and they, they haven't really given me a clear idea, but the thing about it is, everybody tells me is Everybody who knows Tyron tells me one thing. Tyron is very forward-thinking. He pays a lot of attention to detail. He knows how to... He understands the process of doing business. A lot of guys understand the benefit of doing business. They don't understand the process. And there's a difference. It's like, you know, somebody's a worker and they get a raise, they get that. They don't understand the process, which is what the managers, the regional managers, the CEOs, that's what they understand. That's what they focus on. Woodley understands he's not in a necessary position to just demand anybody or get the biggest names. So he's gonna he he's available for the biggest names. But what he's gonna have to do is find who can help raise his his Q rating a little bit more. Nobody else in the welterweight division has any sort of burn or any sort of attention or struck any sort of chord with the casual mixed martial arts fan except for Colby Covington. Whether he really deserves it or not, whether he's really beaten a lot of top guys or not, the fact of the matter is. The only other, the only fight that would make sense out of a GSP fight or maybe a Nate, Nick Diaz fight if Nick Diaz came back for some reason, the only one that would make him money, the only one that would actually justify a high-profile um, push and a countdown and all these other shows that create the interest would be Colby Covington. He's the guy who's laid the groundwork and set up a grudge match and won the interim title. He's done all, he's, he's completed all the steps to make the fight financially viable and legitimately viable because he's done what's been required of him to put himself in a position to be the challenger. So you would go with that Kobe comes to fight. That's actually the decision I would make too. I think that with UFC, I mean, you're right. You know, there really isn't anyone else there. Um, 
with UFC 230, I mean, there's only five or six fights that's, that's been announced for that card. It's November 3rd in Madison Square Garden. Uh, they need a, two big fights on two, maybe even three. I mean, in the first time they went there, they had three title fights. This one, I think they could pull off a Woodley Covington main event and have Valentina Shevchenko fight for the flyweight title. Um, I doubt they get Joanna to take that fight on a short notice. I Maybe. hope not. Throw all their legitimacy out the window. That doesn't even make any sense. I that's mean, that, worse. That's, that's worse than Valentina fighting for the title. That's how bad that is. Legitimacy has already gone out the window when it comes to that women's flyweight division. I've been talking about this for uh, the last few weeks, especially since Montano has been stripped of the of the title. Um, we're going to come back to that, but maybe they get her and Sajar's Eubanks to fight um, there. I don't think Eubanks has a fight booked. I'll be interested to, to see what her weight is like. Eubanks oh, no. has one. Eubanks has one book. She's supposed to be fighting Jessica I in theory, unless they switch it up. I mean, maybe they could switch it up, or they could even throw Jessica I there. Um, so it would be intriguing to see what they do with that that group. They, you know, they already have a opponent for Shevchenko already in mind. I wouldn't be surprised if it is Shevchenko, if it is Jessica I or Eubanks. I wouldn't definitely wouldn't be even more surprised if they picked I over Eubanks. But that's neither here nor hey, there. But those Raphael, real quick, real quick, Raphael. I, yeah. I just want to make one point. The thing about Covington, and this is what people don't understand, because everybody gets hung up on the initial name and all that kind of stuff and the rankings. I'm, I'm aware of legitimacy, but I'm a WWE fan. I understand business as well. You're a w, you're w, you understand the, the business of the combat sports of selling that sporting aspect of it. You can't just sell the legitimacy. You have to sell the entertainment. You have to sell the angles. That's how the, that's how the NFL pushes fights. Oh, we got Cam, Superman. We got Dak leading the, the Cowboy. It, there's, it has to be an angle. The thing with Colby Covington isn't that he's such a big name. It's not that he's made such an impact. He's made some, but he hasn't made such an impact. The thing about him is it's the same reason Floyd went with Conor McGregor. Yeah, the fight with Conor was big just because of who Conor is. But you know what made the fight even bigger? The fact that Conor was going to be able to play through as far as the press conferences, the pre-press conferences, every single written interview, every single time microphone is put in his face, he was stating his case. He was being loud and bold and brash. He was attacking everybody on every single level. He didn't care about what was appropriate. He cared about making his point and selling the fight. Kobe Covington might not resonate with people right off the bat, but when you put him on the big stage, all the stuff he said before is going to come back up, and he's clearly sold on being a heel. He's not going to pull any punches. He's going to build on top of that. He's going to build momentum. There won't just be momentum from him being announced. There'll be momentum from him being announced and having two to three months to build that up with whatever ridiculous nonsense he's going to say and whatever story he brings up about John Jones or Tyron Woodley and everybody will be talking about Covington. That's why Woodley wants Covington because Covington will not just build the fight. Initially, he will build the fight as the fight keeps going. He will keep giving him fuel to help sell that pay-per-view. He'll maximize whatever appeal Tyron has and he'll maximize whatever appeal he has. Other guys can't do that. It's just he's fighting Usman. Usman ain't going to say nothing. He's fighting Ponzinibbio. Ponzinibbio ain't got nothing to say. Covington has something to say. He knows how to strike a nerve. And that's a talent that a lot of fighters don't have. And that's why they're not getting the opportunities they're supposed to be getting. I mean, I totally agree with you on that, man. I totally agree with you there. Let's talk about Darren Till now, though. He was a hot prospect. Um, loses a big fight. Loses it in a pretty... I don't want to use the term embarrassing. Uses it in a pretty... No, in that way. Um, he, he only, what, landed two strikes? Maybe threw two strikes? Something along those lines? But... Um, the best thing you can say about him is he defended some takedowns. 
and he took a bunch of shots. Yeah, the biggest problem with him that Phil still has some charisma. He's a good-looking dude. He's kind of intimidating. He's in it. He has a style that kind of lends itself to a little bit more of excitement. He kind of can sell a little bit. He he knows how he he speaks the language the fight the fans want to hear. The thing about Till is I I predicted Till to win because I thought Till seemed like a he seemed like a very tough tough physically tough mentally tough and intelligent fighter. I said. I've always said this, when Rory McDonald beat Woodley, Rory McDonald laid out a blueprint. And in mixed martial arts, usually it's a copycat league. Remember when Lyoto did the front kick? What did everybody start doing? Front kicks. When, when Silva started counterpunching, everybody started trying counterpunching. When, when Ronda started doing head and arm tosses, everybody started trying to do it. They usually copycat, see if they can get similar results. Rory McDonald laid out a blueprint to beat Tyron Woodley, and not one person has even attempted to use the blueprint. And we have no idea to believe that Tyron Woodley could stop the blueprint if, if you use it against him. But nobody tries it. I figure Till would use his length, front kicks, jab, the fact that he can take a punch. He's not a, he, he's, he has a good chin. He took a lot of shots from Woodley. He wasn't out. And he could use that chin and his durability to kind of be the, be the, the line of defense against Woodley's power. So Woodley couldn't scare him off. Woodley would hit him some big shots, but he would keep volume on Woodley. He would force Woodley back. He would overload Wood, Woodley's senses. He didn't do any of that. He came in doing the same thing he always does, hands down, trying to gauge a distance, looking for an opening. You can't do that with a guy with Woodley's timing, Woodley's experience, and Woodley's explosiveness. He gave Tyron Woodley the, the fight he wanted. He walked into the, the same shot Woodley was working on in Countdown with Eric Brown, former coach of um, Pauly Mag, Mag, Magliani and um, Peter uh, Kid Chocolate, Peter Quillen. They were working on that counter right hand. He said, when he comes in and you gauge the distance, you walk him right into the shot. You come in low, walk him into the shot. The same shot he, he that kind of right hand he was working on, he landed and he landed easily and still was walking into the shot, which either maximized the power, would maximize the effect, would put Till on his butt, and started the avalanche of things going wrong. I was very disappointed in, in Till's inability to show any new wrinkles. Basically, Tyron, if he saw his first fight, he's seen all of Till's fights and Till had nothing for him. Tyron made an adjustment and then went back to what he's doing. Till did the same thing he always does and he got wiped out. So that shows a little bit, that shows a lack of awareness. It makes me question his camp, and it makes me question Till's unwillingness or inability to do anything different. So he's been kind of exposed right now, and he's in a division full of heavy hitters who've got good wrestling and grappling backgrounds. There's a lot of guys who can repeat what Tyron just did to him, at least on the ground, even on the strike. Anybody could, could counter him. So I have some concerns for Till. He still can sell. He's still got a name. He's still got a little bit of a buzz behind him. But, and the fans were into him. But the fact of the matter is he got wiped out. And Tyron hadn't finished anybody in years. And he finished him and did so handily. I don't know if he broke a sweat. I mean, yeah, he definitely did it handily there. Um, before before uh, the fight, Till was talking about moving up to middleweight. If you're in his camp still... Do you continue that narrative? Do you try to talk him into moving up to 185? It could be possible. It might be like the James Vick thing. You know, James Vick is fighting a lightweight, but he's a huge lightweight, and he's cutting a lot of weight. And everybody knows, I mean, it's part of the part of getting concussions. When you're dehydrated, it's easier to get concussions because there's less fluid around your brain. If Till's making such a huge cut, sometimes the fight to him might just be making the, making the weight. You know, like, oh, I made the weight. I'm fine. Maybe he's unable to do certain things, or maybe he's unwilling to take certain approaches because he doesn't know if his body can hold up. Maybe that's why he fights with such low volume, because he figures I'm going to have to use my size and durability to make up for the fact that I can't throw any volume. 
I can't really put combinations together. I can't really work a consistent jab. It might be something worth exploring, because he's still a good striker. He's still young. And if it didn't work out, he's still young enough where he could drop back down and try welterweight again. You know, give it a test run and see how it is. Maybe it would make his durability more. Maybe his activity would go up. At this point, he's already gotten to the peak of, as a welterweight. He's already got a title shot. So now he'd have to work his way back up. So if, he does, if this isn't his, his best weight, he might want to look at some other options right now while he can. You don't want to wait two or three losses later and then move up. You know, right now you just lost to one of the better fighters, pound for pound guys right now. You don't be losing to the fifth rank, seventh rank, tenth rank, fourteenth rank welterweight. It's very possible that he could lose to all those guys moving forward. Yeah, it is very possible that he could lose. And, and middleweight um, is very thin. Mid middleweight is very thin. I mean, I know it's looking a little better right now, but if you really think about it, middleweight doesn't have a whole lot of guys who are just so dominant and can really expose him right now. It, it might be something he needs to look into, but he's really got to look at his game a little bit more because that size and strength difference, he won't have that advantage anymore. And, and based on his defensive wrestling and his defensive grappling and his lack of defense on the feet, there's a good like there's a likelihood that a lesser striker and a lesser experienced guy could could imitate what Tyron Willie did. Yo Romero could. Paulo Costa, maybe you Rye Hall might get him. You know what I'm saying? Like there's there's a path to beat him now. Very true there. Very, very interesting breakdowns there. Let's move on because I don't want to focus just on the main event because so much happened at UFC 228. Let's talk about that co-main event where Jessica Andrade starts Carolina Kowalski. It's so much in a way that I've almost felt bad. Um, and we're going to talk about Carolina in a second. But, man, Andrade, it's, it's just funny because heading into this fight, Tatiana Suarez looked like she may have found a way to push her name into the uh, title picture. She would have been the big, the big, the big name to watch at star straw weight coming out of uh, UFC 228. But Andrade needed a few minutes to go in there and lay Carolina out cold. What do you make about this co-main event uh, there, Swan? Well, um, I wasn't shocked at all. I, I, I picked Andrade. I think a lot of people did. The problem, it was kind of Andrade and Suarez, their fight actually mirrored one another. You had two fighters who had fighting somebody who basically had the same skill set and basically leaned on the same things to win. Carolina Kovacavich, she's not a great striker. She's not a great wrestler. She's not a great grappler. What she is is a decent fighter with decent skills who gets by on her physicality, her durability, and her ability to force the pace. Jessica Andrade is a fighter with average skills who gets by on her physicality, her durability, her ability to push the pace. The difference is Andrade is a very good athlete, if not great, and big for the weight class. Kovacavich is not. Kovacavich does not hit like Andrade. So basically, you just have Andrade charging forward, Kovacavich charging him forward, them exchanging. Kovacavich isn't good defensively because she gets by on her, her chin. You walk into a clinch, she chops you up. She exchanges with you, she pushes you back, she scares you off with her volume. When have you ever seen Jessica Andrade been scared off by anything? It doesn't happen. So Kovacavich is tall in the pocket. She's getting hit with the same right hand like 10 or 11 times, which shows you how good her chin is. But eventually your chin can't hold up and she gets put away. So it was, it was, it was, it was, it was, it was impressive because Andrade hadn't really iced anybody in a while. And then when she finally knocked somebody out, she knocked out one of the more durable fighters in the division. Claudia Gadelia did not Kovacavich out like this. Uh, Rose Namunas couldn't do any, anything close to this. Felice Herrick couldn't do anything close to this, and Andrade just wiped her off the mat. Well, I mean, nobody, no, none of those, 
who in who at straightweight throws throws hands like that? Yeah, yeah. Andrade sells out. She puts all her body because she's not she's not afraid of getting hit back. Like if you're fighting somebody, and you know they can't hurt you. How much you know? Do you tee off on them because they're you're not afraid. She's never has to be afraid because nobody can really hurt her, so she can just tear into people. Now the people she's fought have had a little bit of quickness or some defensive acumen. Kovacavich has none of that. Every right hand she hit her with was full on, head on. She couldn't avoid it if she tried to. It's like she was blindfolded. She just couldn't see the right hand coming. So it like she was blindfolded. Goodness gracious. It, I mean, and the worst the worst part about this is Kovacavich hasn't gotten hasn't really gotten any better since she first came in there. She's fighting the same way she always fights. And she's fighting somebody who she knew basically once Andrade was afraid to be backed off, Kovacavich had no answer except to just throw more volume. She didn't get low in the pocket. She didn't try for a reactive takedown. She didn't throw a bunch of front kicks and jabs. She didn't try to maintain the distance. She just kept pushing forward into against a bigger hitter, a better athlete, and a more durable fighter. That's a terrible game plan. What you know, I, I don't know. So it was impressive because of the fact of the finish. It's kinda of like the Woodley thing. The finish was more impressive than the opponent or the matchup. But the matchup, all things favored Andrade. The only difference is Kovacavich can move around a little bit. But the fact is when she attacks or defends really under pressure, it's in straight line. So that plays the Andrade strength. So basically she just got beat by a, a, bet, a more athletic version of herself in a, in a certain sense. What I find so interesting about this is I've always wondered why everyone has um... – Carolina ranked so highly. I feel like we talked about this leading into the event, but for Andrade, man, she's dangerous at this weight class. Um, I think she should be the number one contender for that title. Um, no hands down. Uh, she, her, and Rose should be booked to fight. You know, that should be Rose's next defense. No questions asked there. Do you see her becoming champion? This is a woman who fought at 135. Cut down the straw weight. Excuse me. Cut down. Yeah, cut down the straw weight at 115, and is now fighting at 125. Never has she missed weight. Do you think Andraz is a champion in the UFC today? I, I think Andraz. I, I I can see have her have avenues to beat Rose. She's physical. Rose won't be able to scare her off. If she gets her hands on Rose, she is going to throw her around left and right. She's just so much stronger. And clearly, if she hits Rose a couple times, we've seen that she can do huge damage. I mean, she beat the hell out of Angela Hill. She beat Angela Hill, and Angela Hill hasn't been the same since. Um, she's knocked around What's JoJo. Talking about my girl. Yeah, she's a great fighter, but after about after about four minutes, Angela Hill first she came in throwing heat. All of a sudden, they started looking to survive. There's nothing wrong with that, but she wasn't trying to throw as hard as she could. She was trying like throwing hard to get her away from you, not throwing away trying to knock her out anymore. But the thing about the, the thing about Rose that helped is Rose is long. Rose has a lot of length with her kicks, the head kicks, the body kicks, the spinning kicks, the side kicks, the front kicks, and Rose has defensive footwork. I'm not I don't know if Rose has the conditioning or she has the poise to, to completely duplicate what Joanna Jinjajik did, but she could. She's just as mobile, she's long, she's a better boxer, she's got quicker hands, a little bit harder hitting hands. So there's a possibility that she could outbox Andrade for five rounds. I mean, she'd get caught here and there. The the question is, could she take it? Would she crack underneath the pressure? But in theory, she could kind of follow the game plan that Jessica Andrade did. I'm going to use my jab. I'm going to use my angles. I'm going to circle them, use my long-range weapons, and just outpoint her for five rounds. That's possible. The thing is, we know Andrade seems to be able to take a little bit better shot, and Andrade can work herself out of bad spots. 
and we haven't we've seen Rose a couple times kind of fold up when somebody really got physical with her. Asparza, it wasn't really a technical hole. Asparza just kind of bullied her and overwhelmed her. And again, Kovacavich. Kovacavich got her hands on her and overwhelmed her. So we haven't seen, and even when she fought Joanna, when Joanna got the clinch, Joanna was putting some heat on her. It, and Joanna's not a big hitter. Neither is Kovacavich. Neither is Asparza. Um, Andrade will change your life with her physicality. And that's where the, that's where the thing would be. Rose could fight a perfect fight. And then boom the the boom gets low the boom gets lowered and that's it for her um i still would favor rose just because i believe there's transitional submission attempts and i don't i don't think very highly of andrage's skill but i think highly of as far as andrage's her athletic ability and the fact that she has an identity as a fighter and she does not stray from it she knows what she's good at she finds different ways to get to her strengths and she never gets away from her strengths which is what ruins a lot of fighters they have a clear skill set advantage and they fight away from it to prove a point or be exciting. And Andrade has never gotten away from what works for her. She's a very smart fighter in that instance. But given the gap in skills and the fact that Rose can box a little bit and can move a little bit, I, I, I don't see a wipeout that, that everybody else keeps telling me it's going to be. Andrade's footwork is still terrible. Her striking is still not clean. She still lunges. She's still there to be hit. Her pivots and angles are just terrible. And she applies a lot of pressure. So she's walking into shots full power. So if you've got some discipline and some poise, and you can really ramp up your defense and keep busy with those long-range weapons, I still think you could outpoint it. But you have to be able to stay off the back foot, you have to be able to stay off the cage, and you have to be able to not give her a moment's rest and really overload her with volume and different strikes, a variety of strikes. That's some good analysis there, so some great analysis. Let's look at what some other stuff that occurred on Saturday, because we have quite a few other fights to talk about. Uh, Zabit um, Maga Mos. Zabit Magomedsharipov. I can't. I can't even. Let's just call him uh, Zabit. I, I used. I used to be able to pronounce his last name. Today is just not working. Zabit picked up a big win over Brandon Davis, submitting him with the uh, Sulov stretch, which is his wasn't so much the knee bar from the backpack position. It was more. I want to call it more side pressure, more heel hook than knee bar. If you look at the way that they fell. But um, he got the submission. Joe Rogan said it was the exact same move. It wasn't. If you because if you look at if you look at their <laughs> position, if you just just look at look at the position between the two. Um, I think it was Kenny Robertson who did it first uh, in the UFC. Him and uh, Aljamain Sterling, their positions were more the same than uh, Zabit's was. It looked like it. I mean, even from the view I was watching, it looked like it was close. But either way. Um, Paul, Paul, I want to talk about that's why we have Rafael there. Everybody else is co-signing Joe Rogan. Rafael saw it differently, and he had the courage to say it. Everybody else like, no, it's the same move. Nope, you 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 saw it differently. You called it differently. That's yeah, it was a little different. It was, it was definitely uh, a little different there. Um, but something I want to talk about with is I beat. This was his third, I think, third or fourth win in the UFC. Um, the UFC rankings are coming out, I think, tomorrow or this week. Two people did not have him ranked at flyweight, and there's an argument that was going on at, on Twitter. Featherweight? Or, or featherweight, excuse me. Two people did not have him ranked at featherweight, and there's an argument going on on Twitter right now. It's because his com the combined record of his opponents was three and six. So, Tron, I, I, I agree do you with rank him in the uh, top 15 at 145 pounds? I can rank him in the top 15 based off his skill set, his physical tools, and what he's shown as far as poise and professionalism and in cage intelligence. But I can't really rank him off of accomplishment because he hasn't faced anybody who's 
put him in a spot where he's had to make an adjustment. He's choosing to make adjustments in these fights because nobody can threaten him athletically, technically, or as far as strategy. So I haven't, I haven't seen him against somebody who could push back. I haven't seen somebody who could put him in a bad spot. So it's hard to give him a high ranking when he's facing guys who he's almost at every single advantage over. I mean, none of his fights have even been a 50-50 fight. It's been, you know, 70-80, we think 70-30, we think he's going to win. How am I giving you rankings off of guys who don't really pose any threat to you? I'm Basically, I'm just ranking off of potential. I have to see him fight somebody who can put him in positions he doesn't want to, who can handle what he has to do and have answers, someone who can force him to get past his talent and his game, his, his plan A, force him to go to a plan B, not let him choose to. It's different between a guy when you choose to grapple some guy and you have to because that guy is whooping your ass on the feet. There's a difference. He hasn't been put in that spot, so... Based on potential, sure. He's probably top 15. He might even be close to top 10. But based on what he's done, I can't even say top 15. I mean, it was a big win because he picked up another impressive win. It wasn't a big win because he beat anybody who anybody knew or really respected as just some kind of up-and-coming future star. Yeah, definitely. Um, so um, what do you think about the fight with Yair Rodriguez that fell out? Who do you look at in that fight? I think he beats Rodriguez because I just haven't seen I haven't seen Rodriguez in so long. So I, I don't know what Rodriguez has to offer. Last thing I saw from Rodriguez, unless he's made huge leaps and bounds, he's not the greatest defensive wrestler. He's not the greatest offensive wrestler. He's more of a big spot offense kind of guy. He has he dynamic kicks and his spinning kicks and dynamic attacks, but he he doesn't have any consistency and his defense isn't there at all. So I don't really see how he beat Zabib unless it was you know, a high kick out of the blue or a spinning kick out of the blue or some kind of, you know, dynamic takedown or dynamic submission attempt. His game isn't very cohesive. It doesn't have a lot of structure in, in regards to the stand-up or the balance of offense and defense and counters or the balance between striking, grappling, and wrestling. It's just, it's kind of like a um, Winklejohn kind of fighter. Just all these different things he can do, but he can't put any of them together, and there's no consistency in how he puts it together. So he'd be facing a comparable athlete with a better skill set better cage IQ than somebody who knows how to transition between ranges. I didn't think that was a good fight for Yair. I was like, I know a lot of managers who thought that was a bad fight for Yair. I was thinking Yair should have went to Bellator and saved himself a headache. But I didn't think it was a good fight for him, unless he turned into a different fighter, a completely different fighter than he was before. He's the same guy, then no. This guy might kill him. They might put the guy in jail for what he's going to do to him. Interesting, man. Um, I, I'm interested in that fight there just because I think that's the real test if, if we want to really kind of say Zabit deserves to be ranked and this is why. I think that that's the real test. Um, but who is Yair B? I mean, he had a spectacular win against BJ Penn and against Andre Feely, two now world leaders. And then, I mean, no offense, I guess you could say he beat Alex Harris, but in spots, Alex Harris was giving him the business, dude. He was really, I mean, he was, Alex Caceres took him five rounds. And then we saw what Frank Edgar did to him. A guy with a, a multi-layer game plan just took him apart. Just bullied him, beat him up. I mean, he had no answers all the time. He couldn't defend a takedown. He couldn't get up. He couldn't, he couldn't do anything except take that, take that ass off. That's, based on the fights he's won and lost, I don't see how he beats the beat. He seems like a better prepared fighter. Now, maybe it's beat total fraud. Based on what they've actually shown, I, I mean... If you beat him, that's great. That would impress me. You're like, you're using your rank because you beat up PJ Penn. That's why you're ranked. I mean, that's not much. I mean, Jose Aldo beating Jeremy Stevens has some weight to it. 
some of the beating of Tad Mendez or Miles Jury. Um, beating BJ Penn is just nothing to brag about it. You're breaking up a little bit, man. I need you to get to a better spot. You're breaking up a little bit. You hear me now? Yeah. Yeah. Beating Alex Cixeras doesn't impress me. That doesn't mean you're world class. Beating a faded BJ Penn does not mean you're world class either. So, the beat beating Yair is what I expected. And if Yair, Yair, Yair beats the beat, then I'd be like, okay, the beat isn't who I thought he was either. It, it doesn't do much for me it, either way. It'd be a great fight, interesting fight. But if Yair, Yair loses, I expect it. If Zabit loses, then he really isn't who we thought he was. That just exposes him and his limitations. It doesn't prove anything about Yair to me. True, true there, true there. Let's get, let's keep moving on because we got a couple of other fights to look at. Um, Tatiana Suarez, she absolutely did the damn thing against Carla Esparza. Basically, put her foot, her whole foot, in uh, Esparza's ass for three rounds. Is she the woman? to dominate the strawweight division. If she gets more seasoning, the simple fact of the matter is Suarez, she's, she's got the same problem a lot of dynamic wrestlers have or whatever. It's almost the same problem Ronda Rousey has. This fight was basically Ronda Rousey versus Misha Tate. If you really look at it, it was different stylistically, but if you look at the advantages and, and the skill sets and kind of how the fight went, it was essentially Misha Tate versus Ronda Rousey. But Suarez has the same problem a lot of people have. There's no connectivity between her game. She can't transition from striking into wrestling attempts, into grappling. Her transition between wrestling and grappling, great. Her transition between striking and wrestling, not good at all. She, her footwork isn't great in getting her in the position she wants to. When she shoots, she lunges because she has no idea how to work her way in behind a jab or a front, front kick. Defensively, she's there to be caught. Defensively, she is there to be caught. Luckily, she was facing a fighter who didn't have the athletic skills, the technical skills, or the strategical awareness to do anything except give her the fight she wants by backing straight into the fence. Suarez has such a huge advantage physically. He has such a huge advantage as a wrestler. She's going to be able to cover those mistakes against fighters who can't make her pay. But against fighters who have some pop in their hands, fighters who aren't afraid to go to the ground, fighters with a little bit more seasoning on the feet, she'll give you spots where you can get her. When she... The first takedown she got on Esparza, he reached for it. He reached and had her head down. Esparza could have caught her with a counter uppercut, could have check hooked her, spun off the cage. Carla Esparza isn't that kind of fighter. That's why she couldn't do that. And she doesn't have the athleticism, and she doesn't have the power. Claudia Gadelia could have got her in a couple spots. Now, most likely she wears out Claudia Gadelia if it gets that far, but we still don't know how Suarez takes a shot. We don't know how she recovers from a shot. We don't know how it is when she's the nail instead of the hammer. We've never seen it. So there's some questions. Which advantage she has is she's very long, she's young, she is a legitimately world-class wrestler, and she's got such huge physical advantages that she can force the fight in the place that she wants to. And once she gets it there, most girls don't have the athleticism or the defensive skills to counter her at all. But I, I think there's some holes that can be exploited. The question is, if you commit to exploiting them, can you handle the cover price for take, that, making that attempt? You throw that counter hook, if she gets under you and gets her hands on you, you know you're going flying. You throw that kick, and you don't take her legs out from underneath her on it. She's gonna grab your leg, run the pipe, get you down, and then, and then it's a problem. But it was a very impressive showing. She did what they wanted Cynthia Calvia to do. She fought the former world champion. She won in dominating fashion, and she stamped her ticket as an elite fighter. And now they can get behind her to try to push, to try and get that Hispanic fan base again. That's the goal behind this. This was a showcase fight made to make her into a bigger star by beating the former champion. This is an old boxing technique they use. 
And unlike Calvillo, she didn't crack underneath the pressure. She finished the job. Yeah, man, she definitely looked good from uh, start to finish there. Um, wait, I have a question. As a, res- as a grappler, were you a gra- grappler and a former wrestler yourself, were you impressed by the fact that Esparza was able to have moments like she reversed or was able to kind of get those hip bumps and get a little bit of space? I mean, she, she wasn't quick enough to really do anything with it, but she was able to create the space against a girl who w- was worlds light years better than her on the ground. Say, say the question again. Was I impressed? Yeah, like how she got she got the little hip bump was was almost able to reverse her again. One time she actually did. She defended some takedowns. She had she had a couple moments. Did that impress you as far were you was she better than you thought defensively? Are you talking about Carla? Yes. Um this is what I'll say about Carla. And I I'll say this. I felt bad because she's been on the tail end of two of the worst beatings we've seen in the UFC in the last few years. And they're two totally different beatings she took the one on her feet by Joanna when she lost the uh strawweight title and then she took this one by being taken down and not being able to get up and getting pounded out for three rounds getting stopped in the, in the third she's legit taking two of the worst beatings we've seen in, in the ufc in quite a while yeah I, I do have to say we have friend of the show ryan wagner was talking about he's a, he's an analyst that one day i like to have on he did highlight the fact that as, as hyped up as people are about how, what she did to Esparza, Esparza has, one, never been a great defensive grappler, and two, has never been a great offensive grappler. He was mentioning that Joanna, Joanna even though she's a striker, is actually a b- better defensive wrestler than Carla, partly because of her footwork, partly because of her work in the clinch and ha- how she defends. And Claudia Gadelia also was a better defensive grappler and actually would pose more of a threat as an offensive wrestler as well. So... He, he made an argument that those two could cause Suarez some problems because if Suarez could get her takedown stuff by Esparza or could be out position to reverse, it'd be ridiculous to think that maybe someone like a, a Dern or a Gedalia or a Jenjadrick couldn't have sim- similar spots of success and maybe build on it a little bit. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what kind of... Um what goes on in the future there, but um, let's kind of continue the uh, narrative there um, because I, I think that 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 her and Andrade they're going to fight at some point in time. Um, they will fight at some point in time, and that's a fight that I'm kind of interested in. I'm, of course, I'm interested in Rose fighting either one of them, but I think that that fight kind of interests me right this moment because we just got She's to see the them. Is she going to be able to fight again? Because last time I heard, she doesn't want to be around lots of people, press conferences, fights. Big crowds. I mean, Rose has always been a mental health mental health advocate because we know that she's had her issues. Um, but she is a strong woman who continuously overcomes, and I, I she'll be back in there. She'll be I, back I in just, there. I mean, especially as you know about that the case to say a place against McGregor. I mean, if this is, and I'm not saying anybody's lying. I'm not saying that at all. But if it's really that kind of level of damage. You go to defend the title when you know you're not 100 percent right. You're going to be in an environment that's going to put you, make you uncomfortable, because you can't perform when you're not comfortable. If you're mentally kind of shook, how, how do you perform against a dangerous opponent? How do you do that? Yeah, you're right. How do you do that? Um, what else stood out for you from this event? We had a couple. We had multiple good fights that went down on Saturday. What else kind of caught your eye? Um, of course, the uh, the Sterling fight caught my eye. Um, just because Aljamain, he's very smart. He gets it. He understands how to sell himself. He's playing an angle, and he's putting himself in a position where he can 
where he's asking for big fights and he's trying to break through and get to the next level of his stage, he realized the UFC's been kind of using him to um, test guys out and to see where guys are at. And now he's trying to get the bigger fights that are going to establish him as a superstar. So I, I liked how he handled his win. I liked how he handled the buildup to it. I, I like the angle he's going in. I still have some concerns about his boxing and his actual consistency in his wrestling, but I was really impressed by Aljamain Sterling before in the cage and outside of the cage after he won. Yeah, I'm, 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 I'm very impressed with what we saw from um, Sterling as well, too. That was a big uh, that, that was a big fight there, and he needed that win, and I'm glad that he uh, got that win there. Uh, did anything else? Did, uh, so no, but, not really. Those are the biggest points. So okay, so let's keep let's keep moving on because um we have UFC Fight Night 136. There isn't a lot to talk about here. Um, Mark Hunt, Alexia Olenek in the main event, as always. Let's kind of focus on that because it is the main event of, of the fight. What do you see there with, with this heavyweight contest? It's just a matter of whether Olenek can get the fight to where he wants it without taking any damage. Olenek's not very durable. He's not very physical. He's not a dynamic wrestler type. He's he's a very slick and tricky grappler, but he has to get there. He has to get you there, and he has to get you in there in the right circumstances. Um, Hunt's kind of hard to take down at this stage. He hits very hard on the counter, and he's still a guy who seems to have his durability and his willingness to take punishment. I'd probably have to favor Hunt. It's not a really important fight to me, just because Olenek's kind of been exposed for what he is, and Mark Hunt clearly is not the fighter he used to be. He's still dangerous, but he's no longer considered. He's never really considered elite technically. And he's no closer to that, and his his chin starting to fail him, and his his conditioning started to fail him. So whoever wins this, it isn't really the only reason they still be considered elite is once again they're in the heavyweight division. It's it's not a really fancy fight, it's not a really sexy fight, it's a fight for the purpose of having a fight, and um, that's that's the best thing you say to sell the fight, and the best thing you say about the fight. Yeah, I mean. I'm I'm not too, too, too excited. I probably missed this. Well, I will be missing this fight because I'm going to watch Canelo uh, Triple G uh, 2, which I think is going to be an excellent uh, boxing match. I'm looking forward to that instead. Um, actually, you know what? F UFC Fight Night 136. Talk to me about that right there, uh, Schwan. Canelo Triple G 2, what do you see going down? Um, the biggest thing about this is going to, see, is going to be about adjustment. Um, Canelo in the first fight, he was outboxing, he was outboxing Triple G. The thing is, he didn't throw enough volume. He focused a lot on getting away, controlling the range, flipping punches, and not necessarily always firing the counter because historically Canelo has tended to slow in fights. Against someone who applies the pressure Triple G does and has the power Triple G does and the physicality, he didn't want to risk gassing. So for a huge spot to the fight, he was just pot-shotting and flipping and getting away. He's going to have to throw a little bit more volume. He's going to have to sit down on the shots a little bit more if he really wants to separate himself versus Golovkin, because I thought Golovkin won the first fight. The issue with Golovkin is recently, in his, last, in his biggest fights recently, he hasn't been the all-round boxer or the destroyer he used to be. He's gotten away from attacking the body. He's gotten a little bit flat-footed. He's overcommitted on some of his offense, and he's walking some huge shots. He's been outworking some spots. So what he's going to have to do is he's going to have to get back. He's going to have to stay on his jab, but he's going to have to really start mixing up his combinations. It can't be so predictable. It can't be so obvious because he's fighting one of the better defensive fighters in boxing today. 
and he's gonna have to get to the body. He's gonna have to make an adjustment. What he's always done isn't gonna get it this time. Um, the biggest question for me on him is, did Canelo get him at the right time? Have they stretched this fight out enough to where there's enough slippage in Golovkin that Canelo can get him? And that's for Canelo's favor. As far as Golovkin, can he make the adjustment? Is he willing to pay the price to be the all-round technical, discipline, balanced fighter that he needs to beat Canelo? It's not good enough just to walk him down and take a shot. That's not going to be good enough. He's going to have to make the adjustment. And it's a big spot for Abel Sanchez because Abel Sanchez recently, a lot of his fighters have been getting exposed due to a lack of versatility, a lack of all-round game, a lack of consistent ability to cut the ring off and keep the fight where they want it, Golovkin got a little bit exposed in the last fight. So can Abel Sanchez make for a better fight if Canelo doesn't give him the fight he wants? So there's a lot of questions in this. I still favor Golovkin because I got I thought Golovkin won the first fight, and I don't really believe that he can fix cardio problems overnight. I, I think Canelo should start out hot, and then he's going to start trying to pick his spot. He's going to try and get a lead and sit on it. The question is, can Golovkin throw enough volume and can he throw enough volume to the right spots with a variety in his shot to put, to put the fight together and then pull it out late or get a stop with late. He wasn't able to do it before. He just kept pressure and pressure and walking in the shot. He's going to have to show a little bit more variation to just go around. Uh, man, that was, dude, you just went all in. I should have created a whole section just for you to kind of break down that fight there by itself. Um, I'm really looking shout forward out, to it. Shout out to Canelo's trainers. They don't get a lot of credit, but if you've seen Canelo, they developed Canelo essentially from scratch. They turned him into one of the finest counterpunchers and one of the slickest defensive boxers in fighting. I mean, even when he got caught with gloves, when he was rolling in the shoulder, pivoting his positioning, it's just it's just amazing. They've done an outstanding job with him. I, I've seen much better athletic talent be worse technical fighters, and these Renos, the Renosos, they've done a magnificent job with him. Just, just incredible. They've done more with him than I feel that Abel Sanchez has done with Golovkin as far as overall skills, the awareness, and the, and the ring IQ, not the cage IQ. Sorry to cut you off. Just that up no, no, no. You're all good, man. You're all good, bro. I appreciate your insight there. So with that in mind, man, let's go ahead and bring this show to a close. We had a pretty good hour-long show, pretty good conversation here. What are you working on this week? Um, I think I'm I think I'm going to be working on some some kind of like I don't since I wasn't covering this event, I think I'm going to try and hit on some some articles to kind of explore some other avenues of fighters. I, I'm thinking about doing an article on Tyron Woodley, basically just stating the case that his success is just him being a better, being smarter and better prepared. And I'm looking into doing something for Tatiana Suarez, kind of giving a more objective look at her and what she has in front of her. I know the hype is really big on her right now, and I, I was impressed too. I've been always been impressed with her. But with the hype and the support, you have to have some realism as far as what they expect moving forward. Because everybody gives them a hype train, and if I'm another person just cheerleading, why read my stuff? You can go to any website and hear how great she is and how dominant she is. Somebody needs to tell you where the spots are she can be taken advantage of and where she needs to improve and why she needs to that's how you. Uh, that's how you round out there. Oh, yeah, and one more thing we forgot to talk about, but i just like to say it. That fight between Kudalova and Irene Aldana, great fight. Great fight, high contact, high volume, high activity, lots of variety in what they're doing. Um, that was an exciting fight, great fight for Aldana. She probably needs to add something to her training camp because she's hitting the wall as far as how far her skills can take it. She's going to have to make some adjustments to see what she can step forward as far as the caliber of opponent she can be. She's kind of got as far as she can get with what she's doing right now. Cool, cool, cool. Yeah, very, very true. So, yeah, man, 
I'm going to go ahead and close it out. I'm covering uh, the Nogi uh, Pans this weekend. Um, a couple of other events going on in the grappling space, football as well, professional wrestling. So just be sure to stick uh, to my Twitter feed at Sports to catch all of my content. Schwan, let them know where they can find you on Twitter. Uh, you can find me at Black Jordan Green on Twitter. You want to discuss WMMA or any MMA or boxing, um, occasionally basketball, I'll break that down too. Um, just hit me up. We can have that discussion. Like I said, anytime you approach me with it, I will sit there and talk to you as long as you want, any angle you want about whatever fighter you want and give you a perspective of somebody who's actually worked with people in these camps and has some insight as far as what goes on behind the scenes. So um, once again, just look for me at Bean on Twitter. And where can you find our podcast? You got us on YouTube, SoundCloud, iTunes, and FM radio, if I recall correctly. FM, yeah, FM radio on in the internet. So those are the, probably the four major places you can find us on. And once again, thank you for supporting the show. All you guys, our numbers have been slowly creeping up, and we appreciate y'all showing us that support and uh, um, that attention. Fantastic, man. And with that in mind, let's go ahead and close out. And everyone, have a great day. We'll be back uh, next week with episode 98 of the MMA Ratings Podcast. But until then, guys, have a great night. All right. Good night, guys.